For listeners of the Black Girl Nerds podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. One of the many books that I've listened to on Audible services is a Song of Ice and Fire series. It's from the popular TV series on HBO called Game of Thrones. When I quarrel, I do it with a sword, cause I was speaking to the lady. Tell me, wench, are all the women on Tarth as um, homely as you? <laughs> I pity the men, if so. Perhaps they do not know what real women look like, <laughs> living on a dreary mountain in the sea. Tarth is beautiful, the wench grunted between strokes. The sapphire oil, it's called. Be quiet, monster, unless you mean to make me gag you. I think of Roy's voice every time I watch Game of Thrones or even see anything remotely with their characters or when I'm reading a book. Because I personally like Audible for not only listening to it on the car ride to work or on a commute to a friend's house, but I also read the books when I'm able to carve out some leisure time for myself and just sit back and relax in my recliner chair and just read the paperback books. Roy Dottris's voice, though, I hear it every time I'm reading and turning from page to page. So when you get an opportunity, check out audibletrial.com forward slash BGM podcast. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash BGM podcast for your free 30 day trial. Welcome to episode 56 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie Broadnax. I'm your host. This episode is called Bitch Planet, Hawk Girl, and DJ Hobo. So we broke it up into three segments. In our very first segment, we invite comic book writer Kelly Sudaconic to chat with us. You may know her best from comics such as Captain Marvel, Pretty Deadly, and my personal favorite, Bitch Planet. And not only does she talk to us about her experience in the industry and comics, but also she talks about writing characters that consist of women of color and black women in particularly from a white lens. And she is very candid in this interview about her opinions on that and where she feels her place is and her role is as a writer. So we talk about that. And Joelle Monique is a co-host with me on that segment of the podcast. In segment two, I had the opportunity to talk to Sierra Renee. Sierra plays the role of Hawk Girl on the new CW series, Legends of Tomorrow. So she talks to us about her role as Hawk Girl, her experience in the industry with a theater background, and she also talks to us about social media and cultural identity. In segment three, we have DJ Hobo as our guest. The interview is conducted by Kristen St. John. Kristen St. John is a contributor to Black Girl Nerds and does a lot of the musical content on the website. And Kristen and DJ Hobo, also known as Howard Bolden, chat about the music industry, about DJing, about the work that he does, and how DJ Hobo has used the internet as a platform to promote himself through social media. So it's a really great opportunity to learn about new music, new artists out on the scene. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy it. And I look forward to seeing all of your lovely comments. You know, you can leave comments on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher Radio. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Kelly Sue DeConnick is a writer of Western comics and adaptation editor of manga. She's best known for her work on Captain Marvel, Pretty Deadly, and Bitch Planet. She lives in Portland, Oregon with her husband, Matt Fraction, also a comics writer, and her two kids. Kelly Sue has worked in the comic book industry for the last decade. 
Kelly Sue has worked with Marvel on titles such as Captain Marvel, Avengers Assemble, and Avenging Spider-Man, along with so much more. On the DC Comics side, she's worked on titles such as Supergirl, The Witching Hour, and The Adventures of Superman. Most recently, she's best known on the creator-owned side of publishing under Image Comics. Her comic, Pretty Deadly, got nominated in 2014 for an Eisner Award. And one of her most popular comics to date, which is my personal favorite comic, is Bitch Planet. Thank you for tuning in to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host, along with co-host Joelle Monique. We have an amazing guest. A guest that I am so excited about because um, one of the best comics that is out right now that I am such a huge fan of, Bitch Planet. Uh, We have the author of that comic, along with several other comics she's done. She's done far more than just Bitch Planet, but we have Kelly Sue DeConnick here on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Thank you for coming on tonight, Kelly Sue. Thank you for having me. First of all, I want to know, um, because you have such a great knack for writing lead protagonists who are incredibly compelling female characters. Are you inspired by real life role models in your life or are these other fictional characters that you've loved along the way that you grew up on that inspired you to write some of these characters? Boy, you know, it feels like that should be an easy answer, but it isn't. I don't know. I mean, I think every character I write is probably a hodgepodge of, of people I know and, and people I've met and other characters that have made their, their way into my psyche. There, it's very seldom a particular person or, or a character I'm trying to write. You know, sometimes Tracy Burke had some, some things in common with my grandmother's sister, my Aunt Polly, but not in, t- you know, like Tracy cursed like a sailor and <laughs> <laughs> I could count on like one hand the times that, that uh, you know, Polly let one slip. There was more like a strength of character there that, that a code of ethics and a kind of, I don't know, a, her spine. I, I think Tracy got her spine from, or my Tracy got her spine from Polly. Carol's relationship with Jessica is very much like my relationship with my best friend. And by Carol, by the way, that's Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel. Sorry, yes. Yes, for those listeners that don't know the Carol that she's referring to. But mm-hmm. which one of us is Carol and which one of us is Jessica switches <laughs> off, you know, depending on the, the particular interactions. Um, and Helen Cobb from Captain Marvel owes a good bit of her DNA to Jerry Truehill Sloan, who was a female aviator uh, and one of the Mercury 13. How did you get started in this crazy business of comics? And what are some of the pros and cons of working in this industry? I got started... I funny it's one of those things that's like uh uh how i broke you know the the like how did you break into comic i've broken into comics so many times that i'm not sure which <laughs> one counts you know <laughs> i i i, I kind of came into it backwards i don't know it was never really my ambition um which, which sounds dismissive to people who are trying really hard to get into the industry but but it's really it just it isn't yeah, oh boy, it's such a, that's a difficult. Ca- yeah, it is a fully loaded question, right? Because it's just like there's so many aspects of the industry, and 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 it's different. Um, pe- people have various experiences in it, so I would imagine that how you got started is probably very unique to um, to to your sensibilities as as a writer. Yeah, there's a there's a uh, uh, quote Devin Grayson rather famously said that breaking into comics is like breaking into Fort Knox once they figure out how you did it they make sure no one can do it that way again (laughs) Uh, which I think is pretty good Um, so yeah I I basically came up through the Warren Ellis forum a lot of my colleagues did actually a lot of us came up through that site but the internet has changed it's not as as friendly a place right. as it was back in the old days. Um, <laughs> so uh, that doesn't really, uh, you know, 
work exactly anymore. But that said, like my assistant Kit, I met first online and then and then at a convention and you know now she works for me and will no doubt one day she's starting to write and I'm sure she will be a professional creator in the industry before long. So I think there's a lot of different ways to come in and then pros and cons of working in the industry, you know, that you have a lot of control in comics. It costs the same (laughs) to draw a scene of two people talking in a diner as it does to, you know, draw a planet exploding. So, you know, you don't have to convince anybody you need a special effects budget. It's a a relatively low threshold to publication. So it's really just, you know, the the limits of your creativity and your partnership if you're working in the traditional model. But there's a, a, I don't know if I can think of any cons that aren't the same cons as in any other industry, you know? Right on, right on. Um, BTN just completed a series on Comic Arts Los Angeles profiling the convention and the artists featured there. And one thing I noticed was the variety of ways in which creators display and what creators display and how they choose to display it. Uh, The rapport you have with fans is legendary. Your Tumblr page in particular grants fans a lot of access to your artistic process and a little bit about your family and friends. How does the relationship you have with fans transfer to convention floors and does it affect what you bring to sell? Well, for, for me, I'm not at conventions to sell. I mean, sometimes we bring stuff to sell, but like it just never works out in our favor. It's it's very different for artists. It's a completely different dynamic and and cost to profit equation. For us, when we bring stuff to sell, it's so that people who want to get something signed will have easy access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're starting to do that less and less. We're starting to depend on uh, the vendors on the floor to have something or people to just bring copies of their things that they've already purchased. Yeah, I mean, we're there to have an opportunity to make a connection and to say thank you to the readers. So That's so uh, lovely. (laughs) Well, that's true. It's really true. I mean, it's not... Conventions are are not a money-making experience for writers. I think there are a few people who have figured out ways to do it, but it is way more work than I am down for. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) So... We're going to try to make money. We, we stay home and write, you know? Right, sure. So we go to conventions to spend some time with our peers and mm-hmm. to kind of get that bolt of creativity that you get from being around creative people for a weekend and to say thank you to the people who give us the ability to make our living this way and to have a chance to, you know, meet people and hear their stories and and shake hands and take silly pictures. But yeah, and and we, we, yeah, we bring stuff to sell, but not much. We're looking for like smaller things. <laughs> I feel like you're established though, at this point to not be in that space, that that's more for budding artists and writers to, to be on the vending floor that you as a name really don't need to do that. And that your social media presence and being on Tumblr and Instagram and, and such that that's, enough to really market yourself and, and have some outreach to your fans. Yeah. And, you know, and most of the time, you know, there are sometimes people who are like hardcore collectors and, and they are genuinely there for your signature. And you can, you can tell them, you know, when they come up they're like their books are taped off and stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm always terrified. I'm like going to sign it wrong or something, but um, <laughs> I don't even know. How does that, that happen? happen? Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Just I don't know. It looks like crap. I'm not sure. I did. <laughs> but uh, uh, but most people aren't really there for the signature. The signature is an excuse for them to have an opportunity um, to chat with you for a minute. And yeah. I think that's great. And let's just do that, you know? Well, speaking of your work, uh, Pretty Deadly is one of my favorite comic books on the shelves right now. It is beautiful. I love Emery S. You're mm-hmm. very welcome. Um, to me, it reads a lot more like a poem than prose than any of your other works. And I was wondering where that style inspiration comes from and what drew you to it? I think it's probably, I mean, it's it's in part trying, trying to make you feel the way Sergio Leone makes me feel, but <laughs> there's definitely a there's, there's something also 
childlike about the book. Even though the book is sort of hyper-violent and there's a lot of dark stuff in there and it deals with really big ideas. You know, the first volume tries to explain death. The second volume tries to explain war. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we're... We're, <laughs> we're aiming low. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, 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 it's certainly got, got Sandman in its DNA. I think Sandman is a little more playful which is a really a good thing. I think sometimes I can, I can start drowning in my own depth, but yeah, that's, I like the idea of it being poetic. Um, I like it too. I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much fun. So did everybody else apparently, cause it did get nominated for an Eisner. So it did. that's yeah. kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. It won a, it won a bronze medal from Japan too, which was actually, Really, really cool. I mean, the Eisner nomination, uh, that, that, that was a tremendous honor. But Emma is really influenced by a lot of manga creators and the Japanese storytelling style. And it it meant a great deal to her, especially. Hmm. And that was, you know, that was incredibly cool. Well, along with Pretty Deadly, which is an amazing comic, another comic that is your most recent work is Bitch Planet. And I want to say thank you for issue number six. Have a nice little shout out. And I yes, appreciate that. <laughs> that was my first time cosplaying at, at Dragon Con. And Nailed it. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, yes. I, I really appreciate that. And, and again, that, that comic is everything to me. And reading this past issue with uh, Mako's backstory that we got, I wanted to know, are we going to move on? Because there's so many great characters in this story. Are we going to move on to another character's backstory? Or are we going to continue with this current arc that we're at now? That is a great question, because I have actually just changed plans. <laughs> so we were going to have a backstory every third issue, but we decided it was too disruptive. So instead, oh. we're going to do one backstory every arc. And that still kind of jacks with our rhythm a little bit, because then that, that makes it makes our arcs four issues long, which is a strange rhythm for an arc. Five is easier, because five is the middle. But right now, this is the, the, this is the plan. So the, the easy way to fix this would just be to go to six-issue arcs, which is not all But we probably... I can say with with certainty, actually, we won't do that for President Bitch. We're we're planning the next arc right now, so we may end up going to six issue arcs uh, for the next arc, so that we can have a five issue storyline plus one character background. Nice. Um, you've spoken about the fear of writing another race, particularly characters like Penny Roll and Bitch Planet, and clearly you were able to succeed in writing thoughtful and authentic Black women despite your fears. What steps did you take to nail these characters? I don't know that I was really legitimately afraid I couldn't write characters who didn't look like me um, or have my experience growing up, you know? But I think what I was afraid of was how it would be perceived. I, mm -hmm. I don't want to co-opt anyone's story. I don't want to... Look, I am white as a sheet. You know, I don't own it, girl. Own it. Yeah. I don't want to pretend to be something I'm not. I don't want to. I don't. You know, I don't want to like dread my hair and pretend like you know, like I'm down with the struggle in some way that. Like, that's not my experience. You right. know. Um, right. I have tattoos and a nose ring and I have never been followed around a store, you know, mm. like, um, I reek of white privilege and I don't, I don't want to pretend otherwise. And I don't want, and I, and I think it, my fear was that my, my fear was that, was that things would be projected on me and, and people would feel that I was trying to take something that wasn't mine instead of just trying to tell a story. And the story that I'm trying to tell, you know, really, I started out, you know, I, I wanted to tell the story about 
women and the different ways in which women are marginalized and their power taken from them. And the thing is that like, if I did this about a group of white women, that would be such a lie. Mm, (laughs) You know, it's not, um, or it'd be like going halfway and we wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about, you know, everyone has degrees of privilege and everyone has degrees of oppression. But if, if this, if this is what we're going to talk about, if we're going to talk about people who are marginalized, people who have their identity stolen from them, people who have their power taken from them and the way it affects them. And we don't talk about race. It's bullshit. And the thing too, then is like, if I say, you know, if, if like white dudes are writing books that are all dudes and I'm like, Hey, maybe you could put some ladies in there. <laughs> and their answer is like, well, you know, I don't know how to write women. And I say, pretend we're people, you mm-hmm. know, then if I were to say, I don't know how to write black people. Shouldn't the answer be pretend they're fucking people. Right. You know right. what I mean? Right on. Right on. So it, it, it's scary to put yourself out there, but man, I heard this woman on the radio today. I don't even know who she was. I've, I've like an email into the radio station. I'm like, who was that? <laughs> and she said two things that really hit me hard. And one of them was, um, cynicism takes me out of the fight. So she got asked like if she believed that progress could be made. And she said, absolutely. She was very optimistic. And, and why wouldn't she be? And the, the interviewer was like, I don't know, the news, <laughs> like every day we read more horrible things. Right. And she's like, yeah, you know, if you're looking, you know, it's out there for sure. But why would I, why would I allow myself to become a cynic? Cynicism takes me out of the fight if I just give up, you know? And I was like, ah, that is really powerful. And then the other thing she said, she's something along the lines. I, I'm not sure if this is word for word, but she said, it's not safe to try and change the world. Like that's not a safe choice. It's dangerous, but you should do that anyway. You know, and I think that's the role of the artist is to put yourself where you're uncomfortable, you know? And whereas I don't, you know, I don't view myself in any way as a, I'm not a leader in any kind of race, anything. Um, I think those are not roles for me as a white woman to have, but I do think that if white folks and this is a really, this is a good day to talk about this, right? What was yeah. MLK talking about? <laughs> MLK day, yeah. <laughs> yeah, talking about, uh, uh, you know, m- moderate white folks being the problem. That that whole, you know, here I am sitting and cheering from the sidelines. Like, that's some bullshit. The bad actors in this are white people, you know? Like, white supremacy is, isn't going to get fixed until white people change the way they act. Right, right. Um, and so I think it's it's safe to sit at the side and and clap, but I don't think that's I don't think you change anything until you've got skin in the game. So I don't think it's for us to be in leadership positions, but we should damn sure be out there marching. Absolutely. And and one of the things that I I want to commend you on is that you have worked with artists of color in um, Pretty Deadly, Emma Rios, Spanish artist, and then on Bitch Planet, Valentin Delandro. So how important is it having a team filled with diverse perspectives? I should say first, I am not entirely sure how Emma identifies. And I I don't know, I wouldn't want to make any assumptions about that. Okay. But with Val, Val and I want, wanted to work together first. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was it was really about... Uh, he's enormously gifted and he's a good dude. Like he's just a good dude. And we got on really well immediately. And then we were sort of working out what story we wanted to tell. And this became the story. And I, I wouldn't have had the courage to do it without Val and without Danielle Henderson in, in part, just because of the, the courageous people that they are. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, if I'm if I'm being honest, I was checking with my black friends uh, <laughs> and, you know, and and I'm like one of the early conversations I had with Val was like, you know, look, I want to do this story with a black cast, but it's going to be a prison story. And it's, it's, you know, that sort of thing like, oh, you know, we're doing a book with a black female lead and she's a stripper, which is not to say I don't mean to shame strippers or anything, but it was like I didn't want to uh, be propagating stereotypes. You know, mm-hmm. and Val was like, no, no, let's do this. And Danielle was like, look, 
women of color are incarcerated at three times the rate of yep. white women. Yep. Um, if we don't acknowledge this, we're lying. And so, you know, so then it, it was like, all right, you know, let's do it. And then I think it, after that, it, uh, it becomes knowing the difference between write what you know and know what you write. I think write what you know is a great place to start. And I think it's incredibly dangerous if you just stay there. I think if you get stuck in write what you know, then we will have a library full of narcissists and it will be the death <laughs> of empathy. You know, we will all be forever looking in the mirror. And I think that as artists, we have to get out into the world and see the way things are and know what we write and learn about experiences that aren't exactly as our own. You know, and that's what that's what an artist's empathy is for. That's what a human being's empathy is for, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, your essays are beautiful. From following up an essay in timeline format, outlining the process of learning to trust yourself and let go, to a memorial essay in the first issue of The Island entitled Real Birds. Have you contemplated putting a book of essays together? I have, actually. Um, Lauren McCubbin. Uh, Lauren McCubbin and I have been talking about doing uh, a project that would be a series of essays that I would write and she would illustrate. Yeah. We've been talking about it for like two years now. So So, hard, maybe. I vote yes, if that means anything to you. All right. (laughs) I appreciate that. Thank you very much. What what advice, Kalisu, do you have for budding writers out there that are interested in getting into comics and where can we find everything about your content and any future projects that you're working on on the interwebs? I guess my my biggest advice to writers is to start. You know, I think that there's a thing where where people just keep putting off starting until they're ready. You know, or I, I talked to a woman a couple of years ago who was asking me for some tips on how to break into the industry and. I was asking her about like what she'd written and she'd only ever written half of a comic book script. I was like, well, I have a tip for you. <laughs> you should perhaps finish that script and then write another one. You know, we don't, we don't hire people to fix our sinks because they're big aficionados of washing their hands. You know, like you got to show me that you can fix some sinks. Right. And so that's the, that's the biggest thing. The biggest thing is you got to write guys and it's scary and it's uncomfortable And, uh, you know, there are people, there are writers who are like, oh, I have to write. I have to write every day. And I hate those people myself. Um, That is not my experience. I do not have to write. Keeping it 100 on that one. I love it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not calling them liars. But um, (laughs) but, uh, in my experience, that is some bullshit. I do not have to write. I have to do the dishes. I have to do a lot of things. You know, I I have to kind of strap myself to the keyboard or get up in the middle of the night when I'm still kind of groggy enough that that I'm not terrified to put pen to paper. You know, it's it's um, you got to trick yourself into it. You know, it makes you vulnerable. It's scary. But if it's what you want, you can do it. Uh, And I absolutely believe that. And I believe that that everyone has something to say. Uh, and then where can you find my stuff on the internet? I am all the places on the internet. <laughs> I am on all of the places on Tumblr. I am Kelly Sue, K-E-L-L-Y-S-U-E dot Tumblr. No E, because I don't know, the internet allergic to E's or something. And dot com and on Instagram, I think I'm Kelly Sue D. And on Twitter, I am at Kelly Sue. And someday we're going to have a Milk Fed Criminal Masterminds website. I think we don't right now, but someday. So <laughs> should probably bookmark that. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on our show tonight, Kelly Sue. Oh my gosh, you guys, thank you so much for having me. What an honor. And, and this was a great episode and, and, and very timely for today. And, and I really appreciate you being so candid and honest about your opinions on race and your role um, in writing stories about women of color. I, I really do appreciate that. I think a lot of our listeners are going to get a lot more perspective just from listening to your thoughts about that. And uh, certainly a lot of folks have been put on to Bitch Planet because of the things that I've tweeted about and, and the reviews that I put on BGN. So so thank you for just being very candid with your, your thoughts today. Well, thank you. And thank you for the support that we have gotten on the book. Um, I mean, it has been whatever fears that I had, you know, 
the people for the most part who hate the book are people that like our textbook predictably gonna hate the book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and I'm not gonna lose any sleep about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I appreciate it, ladies. All right. Well you have a good night. Thanks, Joel. Right, thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. BGM Podcast will be back right after this quick message. Ever deal with a website that is incredibly slow? Ever find yourself in a situation where you're on the phone waiting minute after minute for a representative to assist you with your website hosting service? Look no further. SiteGround right now has hosting plans as low as $3.95 a month. Their service is incredibly fast and they're there to help you 24-7. You can give them a call or you can do a live chat with them and they'll help you right there on the web. They have a very quick turnaround with their tickets and they get those closed right away. So check out SiteGround and go to the production notes of this podcast episode and click on the link and that will take you over to the page where you can check out all of their different hosting plans that can service your needs. If you need really good security, a fast website, and excellent customer service, SiteGround's the way to go. Sarah Renee is an actress, singer, and musician. She's best known for her roles on Broadway as the witch in Big Fish and the leading player in Pippin, as well as portraying Esmeralda of the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Sierra has now moved on to television and appears as Kendra Saunders, also known as Hawk Girl, on the upcoming CW series Legends of Tomorrow, which is a spinoff of Arrow and The Flash. Hi, Sierra. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for coming on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. I really appreciate it. I know you're. <laughs> I know you're incredibly excited for what's to come, including this week's premiere of Legends of Tomorrow. Um, I, I first want us to get to know a little bit about you. I understand you have mostly a theater background. What has the transition been like for you moving from being on stage to working on three different TV shows? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's been very different. They're very different mediums, especially in uh, skill. It takes a, a lot of different skill than it did to be on stage. Um, and also I had like a regulated schedule. I had one show a night or two shows a day, you know. A little simpler, I think, being on stage and then coming into the TV world. There's so many technical aspects um, that I've really had to, you know, trial by fire, pick up and, <laughs> and run with. Um, but it's been really fun. I, I love being challenged. Um, and I love also reminding myself that acting is acting, whether it's on screen or off. You know, you still want to be truthful to the circumstances in your character. But yeah, it's it's been, a, it's been a whirlwind. It's been a little crazy. I've, I don't think I've ever worked a 20-hour day doing theater. <laughs> and I, I, I work those pretty often here. So. <laughs> wow. That, I know that's going to be overwhelming, but it's got to be exciting at the same time working with so many talented actors and then now your own show with Legends of Tomorrow. I, I want to move on to Kendra. What can we expect to see from Hawkgirl in Legends of Tomorrow? And will we see any remnants of her relationship with Cisco? Because I really loved the little relationship that you guys had there for a minute. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think Cisco and Kendra was darling. Um, I think it, it was what she needed at that time. But um, things, a, lot of, a lot has changed in her life. And a lot is changing for her personally and, and who she is, what she believes in, what she's uh, wanting to accomplish with her life. Um, I think Kendra started out 
not really having any idea where she was going or what she wanted to do or what she needed to do, but knowing that all the things that she had tried this far weren't it, you know? Having that feeling that there's something else um, out there. And then when she finds out that it's, <laughs> that it's being, you know, a hawk goddess, um, it, it is pretty overwhelming at first. Um, and I, I think basically we're watching her deal with this exciting but also terrifying revelation that she's been reincarnated for the last several thousand years. She has a soulmate who is always with her, um, and she also has these incredible powers. So I think what you're going to see in Legends is her trying to find out what exactly that means going forward and if she can accept now that she's a superhero (laughs) um, (laughs) and if if she is going to be able to kind of buck destiny and not have to follow this path of being killed over and over again, if, if there is really a way to stop, you know, or change our destiny. Wow, that's awesome. That's really good. Have you, Did you do any kind of research into Hot Girl before getting the gig? Did you read any of the comics? Yeah, I, I read a lot, and I continue to read a lot. It's actually really fun, especially since um, Hawkgirl has been rebooted again and again in very, very different circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think, I, I, you know, I honestly believe that this version that we're doing is, is another reboot. I mean, we're using a similar origin story that we've seen before, um, but she really is a different a different version of Hawkgirl and, you know, staying with the fact that she's reincarnated over and over again, I think that it makes a lot of sense that she wouldn't be exactly the same kind of, you know, Senegarian badass or, um, <laughs> you know, um, just kind of like the harsher versions that we've seen of her. She really is a pretty normal girl who's all of a sudden uprooted and taken onto a, a time ship and has to deal with that. So um, there's definitely... Uh, it's been helpful to read these different versions, but I think it's cool that we get to kind of see a new, an even newer version than we've seen in the comics. That's fantastic. This is a very unique team, unlike the Justice League, which comprises of superheroes. It's a group of both heroes and villains for Legends of Tomorrow. So do you find that the dynamics as an actor are more challenging in this space, or is it easier? Oh, I think it's there's so much uh, to play with here. Having such different um, people with different ideas of, about heroism or about what exactly this mission means to them and what they want to get out of it, um, which might not all be for altruistic reasons. Um, I think it's I think it's really fun and interesting. I think that's probably one of the most exciting parts about doing this show is that a we have a cast of characters that are they're all so different and, and come from different walks of life and, and want very different things, which we all, we might not all be sharing with each other, you know, and then of course they're played by these incredible actors who have done so many uh, just unbelievable projects. And now here we are thrown into one room. It's great to be able to, to play against these, um, some veteran actors and, and some newer ones, but it, 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 I think it's been really fun. That's awesome. And I see that you're on Twitter a lot, which is great. Do you enjoy live tweeting the show? <laughs> you're, you're you're on there. You're on there pretty consistently. Do Do you enjoy uh, doing the live yeah. tweets? <laughs> I do. I actually have a lot of fun with that. Um, Twitter's like a new experience for me over the last like year or two. Wow. Um, but I I I think it's been helpful just to really be able to connect with the fans. Um, and, you know, I, I think the Comic-Cons have been really helpful, too. You actually get to hear what they are thinking and what they're feeling in a way that, you know, 10 years ago, that was not really the case. <laughs> you you know, you would see reviews for shows and things like that. But, like, here we really get to, like, talk to people. And, and, and they have cool ideas and, and different perspectives than you would have. Um, and... You know, there's just a lot of love and support, which is, is really, really fun. But, um, yeah, I, I love I love the whole Twitter aspect of it. I mean, it can get a little weird sometimes. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, it's not always, not always <laughs> loving, but um, right. what it is, it's cool. 
it's really cool. Well, I, I wanted to ask you a question um, that's related to Twitter. And by all means, if you don't feel comfortable answering it, you do not have to. Um, mm-hmm. there, there was some mm-hmm. stir on Twitter regarding your ethnicity, and I wanted to give you the opportunity mm-hmm. in more than 140 characters to articulate like, <laughs> <laughs> what your racial background is and, and what you were trying to say that may have been missed in translation. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. This has been obviously a question I've been asked my whole life, and it's always interesting who's asking the question. Um, and over Twitter, it's very hard to know who's asking the question and where they're coming from with it. But, you know, there are times when it is, it's, it's a bit annoying, especially when it's the first thing that's asked to you right. by someone. Like, I, I will meet people all the time and they'll say, oh, hey, and before they even ask my name, they're like, what? What is your background? Mm. And, you know, sometimes they're, they're genuinely interested and that's cool. And, like, I'm not ashamed or afraid to share it. Um my worry is that we spend a lot of time focusing on race and especially in the last few years where we've had such uh, a racially charged atmosphere in this country and in America that it's, it's very important. I understand the importance, but sometimes I feel like we put so much pressure on identifying and categorizing who people are Mm -hmm. that it can be it can be toxic and and it can help promote stereotypes and racism more than uh, than just me allowing me to have my identity. And what's really interesting is I found as I've gone as I've you know grown in popularity and and, and I've gotten opportunities to do you know more high profile shows like Legends. I'm now seeing people from uh, matching ethnicities or races want to claim me which I think is uh, lovely in the fact that I'm glad that I can be a role model, especially for women of color, but it also can be a little one-sided, which I think is unfair, especially for people who are multi-ethnic. I am uh, black, I'm white, I am Indian, and I am Native American. I'm all four of those things at all times. You know, and that for some people, it, it, it actually is really hard for them to understand that. But they're like, people will ask me, but who are you? Like, what what are what are you assigned to? You know, what do you claim? And mm-hmm. it's like, I claim different things at different times. I feel different things at different times. I feel akin to different people. And I think that's the really positive part about being multi-ethnic or multiracial is that I want to branch out and connect with these different groups. But it can be, I feel like, confusing because we want to categorize, want to say, well, she's obviously a black girl. She's a black girl. I'm like, that's cool. Like, that is a part of me, and I'm very proud of that part of me. And I'm, I'm glad that I can be a role model for young black women. I think that that's really cool. But, like, you can't then say, oh, this is a step for black women and not also say this is a step for white women, Indian women, and Native American women. Mm. You know? that, And that's, I think... More than anything, when I answered the question, I think stir was about me saying that I was white, because I just, I said, oh, well, I'm just white. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly, I was just wondering, like, what, what would you say? Because, you know, there are times I've said that to people uh, face-to-face, and they say, oh, yeah, but what are you really? As if mm. white wasn't a part of what I was. And I was like, well, that's not fair either. Right. You know? I, I'm not, I'm not claiming or dismissing anything just by saying I'm white. <laughs> I'm just saying this is this is what I am. This is a part of me, but I'm also this, this, and this. You know what I mean? So, right. yeah, it can. It's a bit of a fuzzy topic, and I'm actually writing. Um, I've been working on a blog post to kind of cover this in more depth. Oh, um, that I hope to, to post in the next couple of weeks, um, if I can get some time to sit down and write it. But yeah, I mean, this is kind of the start, the start of it. But there are deeper and larger um, implications of what it really means to be able to be multi-ethnic and multiracial in our society today. I'm, I'm very curious to read that because, I, again, I think sometimes <laughs> on Twitter, things get lost in translation. And then, and you're right, like, yeah. when I see people tweeting out when you said that you were a certain percentage of white, I, as a black woman, I, I don't know what your perspective is on race as a multiracial wo- woman. And we need to kind of understand mm-hmm. everybody's perspectives 
and and look into someone else's shoes and just not just make assumptions about things. So, and I myself even made assumptions when I was looking at the Twitter exchange um, with you and your followers. So I, I appreciate you answering that question and being very candid with it. And, and I do look forward to reading your post about your cultural background and also your perspective on what it is to claim your identity as a multiracial woman. Awesome. Thank you. Final question. What do you love most about playing hot girl? Hmm. Um, I think I, I, I love the idea that there are hundreds of lives that are a part of her. I've always been told myself that I'm an old soul and I feel that way. I actually have a friend who the first thing he said to me before we ever really got to know each other was, oh, there's, there's a lot of other lives inside of you. And this is before Hot Girl anything. I, I feel like that might be something that other people understand as well, as if, like, maybe there's, there's past lives or, or something else going on, some other kind of collective wisdom that you're able to draw on. And I think exploring that notion is really interesting to me and it's very easy <laughs> in this role where I get to play different versions of myself whether it be flashbacks or meeting other versions of me and what that means. I mean, if you got to be reincarnated time and time and time again, would you stay the same person or would you be forced to be someone different or would you want to be someone different? I I know that if I had another life after this one, I would say, okay, well, I want to, you know, I want to do something else. I was an actor this life. Well, maybe I want to be a doctor this time. Or maybe I, you know, I felt like I wasn't very brave in my last life. I'm going to be braver in this next one. Or, you know, it, it, it's fascinating to think, what would that actually entail? So I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the challenge of, of playing many me's. <laughs> Kristen St. John is a contributor to Black Girl Nerds. Most of the musical content that you see on the site is written by Kristen. Kristen is just another former journalism student that ended up working in an industry that has nothing to do with her major, but it gives her enough time and money to dive into her first love, music. DJ Hobo is a program manager, IT professional by day, and a DJ and hip-hop enthusiast by night. More of an 80s toddler than an 80s baby. Growing up in the golden era of hip-hop, he witnessed the evolution of this thing we call hip-hop. Always fascinated with the art of turntablism, plenty of his parents' now-classic vinyl LPs fell victim to his desire to talk with his hands. Upon arriving at the University of Virginia in 1992, he found himself surrounded with a group of men whose love for hip-hop mirrored his own. You could often find him alongside DJs Eminem and Big Head of WTJU Friday Night Mix Show. Sometimes on the mic, but never on the ones and twos until the fateful day when he visited a friend who encouraged him to get behind the tables, and thus the love affair began. Hey guys, it's Kristen St. John for a Black Girl Nerds podcast. Um, Thanks for tuning in. I am here with Howard Bolden of TTT Radio. Hey, Howard. Hello, hello, hello. And you're also known as DJ Hobo, am I correct? Uh, yes, ma'am. Our two, <laughs> two friends and family and uh, and enemies. And enemies, okay. Um, just a quick thing, uh, just to kind of put it all out there, everyone. Um, actually, Howard and I have been good friends for uh, entirely too long, and I figured for my first <laughs> podcast, it would probably be more comfortable talking to him, especially since... Uh, when the two of us start talking music, we tend to uh, go down into a complete rabbit hole of insanity. So mm-hmm. we just wanted to, I, I figured this would be a, a good chance to talk a little bit and, you know, share our opinions and, you know, kind of get some good feedback from each other. Howard, how long have you been a DJ? Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, wow. Uh, officially, I guess I've been a DJ for about 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, you know, I messed around on the turntables in college and whatnot and kind of through then, but having my own turntables and, and, you know, putting in the work and effort about 10 years, maybe 11. Did you start, how, how did you start though? I mean, was it, um, parties? Did you, uh, automatically go into, uh, online radio or, um, how, how was that? 
uh, it was parties, and then it, it kind of migrated into the uh, online radio because I am a self-proclaimed music snob, and a lot of the things that I like to play, uh, that I like to listen to, uh, that I vibe off of are not the mainstream. You know, it's not a lot of that commercial hip-hop that you hear on the radio, much more 90s, uh, 80s, 90s, and early 2000 hip-hop for me. Okay. Now with Triple T Radio or TTT Radio, how did that get started and how did you get in? Like if if somebody's listening who actually really likes music as well and is thinking of doing something like that and hosting their own show, how did you get involved with that? Uh, TTT Radio is actually probably uh, the brainchild of uh, one of my fellow uh, friends and DJs. Name's DJ YZ. Uh, he handles a lot of the technical aspects of the shows, including the hosting the servers and the paying for the the, the uh, web space and uh, the design of the web page. Actually, uh, I give him all deference and credit for taking care of all that stuff. He's a DJ as well. Uh, we used to play baseball together. And uh, when I got my turntables, you know, I was just kind of messing around and I would mess around on his. And he was like, you should just do a show. And so I did. Uh, the name of the show was The Amateur Hour. <laughs> and so I did a show and that was uh, that was, as they say, uh, history. That's how that's how we uh, got to where we are today right now. And and where are you guys today? I mean, how how is the the website doing? Uh, it's doing pretty well. You know, we have our own little niche carved out, um, which I'm very proud of. We are actually on TuneIn Radio, and, and with YZ being the uh, technical guy that he is, you know, he's very into the analytics of it all. We've got about 5,000 to 6,000 people who check us out on TuneIn Radio, which is kind of crazy to me um, that that many people in this world, granted that may not be the largest number there is, but that those people pay attention to me. And why do you think, because I mean, you were saying that you, you do basically old school and underground stuff. Why why do you think it's, it, it, it is still popular? I mean, I know you and I were talking about when both of us have seen Questlove DJ. I mean, I know the, the past two times I've seen him DJ in D.C., it seemed that, you know, you had people who were college students all the way up to us old folks in our 40s and then some folks in their 50s. Who um, out there and, you know, all kinds of colors, everybody, Quest throws on some old school and people lose their collective mind. Why Why is it that that 80s, 90s genre is still, you know, has such a hold on all of us? Oh, wow. I think, well, I mean, that's a long, that's a long uh, question to answer. But I, if, if I had to, you know, put my finger on it, I would, I would say that, it, it harkens back to a time where things were a little more organic. I think it harkens back to a time when there was a lot more diversity and thought and feeling put into the music. Not to uh, disparage what, what's out there right now, but it just felt like at that time, you know, a lot more people had something to say. A lot more people were kind of more easily related to. I know I, you know, I've never, I, I, when I started listening to uh, like, you know, 80s, 90s hip hop, I had never been to New York, but I felt like I had just from the music. And um, I don't get that feeling nowadays. Okay. Now who, I mean, I know how I am. I mean, it's like, I can tell you exactly where I was when I heard X, Y, and Z and, and stuff like that. So for me, that's what I lose it when I hear, you know, certain things, maybe kid and play on one hand, or it could be. Uh, it could be uh, uh, what's that? Who did that song, Troy? When they reminisce oh, over you, Pete Rock and CL Smooth. Yeah, Thank you. I had just I, I just had a complete brain leak when I when I went when I went for that song. But now, do you th um, if for folks who are listening who may not have the grip on old school, who who would be yours as a DJ? Who who would be your go tos to kind of get people involved? Oh in, wow. In uh in in the in the old school uh i'm gonna go with um you know it's easy the easy choices are like your tribe your de la uh your run dmc I, I, i'm kind of uh 
you know, I like all those people too. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're dope. Mm-hmm. Wu-Tang's my favorite ever and for always. I would, I would even, uh, you know, my cousin's a teacher and I would even say go back to like early Jay-Z. I mean, before everything he's done now, my cousin's a teacher and he said that his kids told him that early Jay-Z sounds completely different than he does now, which is, which I think is a, a very valid point. Redman, DOS Effects, uh, Bootcamp Click, anyone in that, in that Bootcamp Click crew, uh, rest in peace to Sean Price. Public Enemy, if you dare. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Public Enemy's a little bit harder than, than most. Gangstar, yeah. Check out some Gangstar, you know, with, uh, Straight Outta Compton coming out early in WA. Lords of the Underground. I mean, it, it's a lot. You, you can, you can, uh, you could probably listen to an album a day for, for years and, and, and not, uh, not really catch it all. Yeah, no, that's now looking at the, the old stuff. Cause I mean, and of course, I, I'll be honest, I gotta rep the woman. I gotta say light. I gotta say old school Queen Latifah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, um, and even go older with like Roxanne Shante, all that stuff. Even. Absolutely. You know, just the the fun stuff when you know uh, hip hop was was fun, but right. I, I'm just thinking compared to I mean, you and I were talking about it, but what about now? What I mean, is there anyone now that you can see that would translate in 20 years? You know, when it's when that becomes like the 2015, 2013 becomes considered quote unquote old school. Wow, um, 20 years from now, wow. I don't really. It's sad to say I don't know if anybody in that's doing it right now you're gonna necessarily be checking for 20 years from now. You know, there's there's the Drakes and the you know the Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar is dope to me, so I, I, I would say anyone, uh, possibly him. You know, no disparagement to Drake because you know I know he has a, a pretty strong following, but uh, he also sings, so I don't really know if he's really like a rapper. Uh, MC, if you will. Uh, you know who I really like? Who has a chance? J. Cole. J. Cole's album was really dope. I think a lot of people probably slept on that. But his, his album was, was very nice. Yeah, that's the yeah. So I'm thinking like I I do agree with the uh, with the Kendrick and I like I do like J Cole as well. That's why I was I kind of liked how Janet had him in that one song and and whatnot. Oh, on yeah. her. But you know it it's it's interesting because I, you know you you and I kind of were talking about it with the organic aspect of of hip hop back in the day. It's like you know we were talking about how when you would actually do duets, it wasn't oh let me throw on this track and. You can do, you know, you can do your 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 verse from across the world as opposed right. to that person coming in and hanging with you or that person's part of your crew and right. everyone kind of chilling for the weekend at the studio and stuff like exactly. that. So it it kind of loses. Yeah, there was it. a lot of that vibe of I'm in the studio with you. Uh, we're we're in the moment right now and we're you know we're vibing off each other. You're smoking, drinking, whatever it is. You're you know you're poison, but you were you were in the room together. And and now a lot now times a lot of times you know they like like you were saying they just send a track to somebody like let me get your verse on this and send it back to me. Not very organic at all. No 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 no. So just just for and I'm actually curious too. I mean, you know how I'm kind of anal as far as finding music and stuff. But do you right. have you know before we kind of some you know uh, wrap up this segment because um, I know you and I can go on for hours with this stuff. Uh, <laughs> where would you where would you recommend people check out music? Where what to right now? I mean, I know we're talking about there's really no chance for organics but at the same time do you do you see stuff bubbling up where where's a good place to to look for stuff or do you think is a good place to look for stuff oh wow Bandcamp is actually pretty good um they have a lot of the uh more of of the more underground people on Bandcamp, and you know just kind of from there you know once you get a once you find someone that you like you can kind of get focused on what whatever else someone else might be listening to or or whatever you know someone else might be uh checking out you know of course i'm going to say uh tttradio.net uh because we do play a lot of stuff that you like you know you won't find anywhere else or that you don't you don't get a chance to really uh dabble into i like to pride myself on uh digging and trying to find you know stuff that 
is not out there for the specific purpose of playing something that's not on the radio. And I know my boys YZ uh, does the same, and uh, and my whole crew. Uh, we kind of we kind of pride ourselves on not being the norm, if you will. Mm-hmm. But then you you know there's also you know of course social media is uh, is great for that Twitter and, and the like. But yeah, I just kind of uh, you know I might. Google's your friend for everything, right? So, you know, I kind of do searches on people that I like to listen to. And I've been fortunate enough to have people send me, they send us music. Some of it's good and some of it's not so good. But, you know, that comes with part of it. And, you know, I respect everybody's, you know, ability and, and passion for music just may not be for me. That's good. I, I, I'll just throw in a quick nerd aspect. I actually really, really like NPR. Their, their music section is unbelievable. I've, I've found a lot of really good artists that I would not have known about through them. Mm-hmm. Like eBay yeah. and stuff like that, you know? Yes. I mean, I, I, so I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plug, uh, I guess it's a torrent or, or whatever, if you will. It's called Hip Hop Bootleggers, and I I usually go there because they put up a lot of stuff that's not you're not gonna find on the radio. Some you know kind of definitely underground, off the beaten path type stuff, but it's dope. So you know I'll go I'll go listen to stuff there, and then if I like it, you know I'll buy it. Or uh, I do still buy music. People support the people that make dope music. Buy the music. Don't be downloading everything under the sun. <laughs> that would also mess up your laptop, but that's a whole yeah, other story. It mess up your laptop, yes. <laughs> the IT in you. Yes. Well, absolutely, Howard, absolutely. you are awesome. I really appreciate talking with you, as yeah. always. always when, when can we listen to you and uh, where? Just throw it out there again if people are interested in checking out your uh, checking out your um, your show. Yes, um, we are on every Friday night starting at about uh, between 7.30 and 8 o'clock, and we run until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. My particular show is on at 9.30, and I run until about 11 o'clock or a little bit after that. Um, it is tttradio.net. That's three T's, radio.net. Um, we're also on TuneIn Radio. We have podcasts, Hulk Share, uh, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, all of those music venues, you can find us. Uh, we are out there, and we do this uh, because we love it, because we don't get paid. We don't get any money for it. It's just uh, carving out a little niche in the, inter- in the Internet. Well, perfect, and thank you, sir, and uh, thank you, everyone, for thank tuning you. in. We'll hopefully, um, you and I will hopefully t- do this another time. Yeah, it was fun. We should do it again. Uh, thank you. See you later. Bye. Thing that you grow, cause living is a thing that
that your wings can't control. You deal with the blows, the hills and the lows. So when you get a lemon, plant a seed and let it go. Matter's not created, no, it's only reimagined. So what matter is how creative you are with what you have. And we be feeling like we Sisyphus, but listen, it's not good to stress and let the things we cannot change possess and get the best of us. I can't accept defeat, yo. I'm far too gifted for that. I rested for a week, though. I knew I had to get back to making all these beats. No more stress about the setbacks. I laced up both my cleats, so my kicks is sounding kick ass. You can achieve it all if you want it bad enough. You could be Ethan Hawk, blasting out a category. You could lay in the dark, locked up in the attic, but I'ma stay flexing hard. Watch me as I power up. Mama used to say, Rome didn't grow in a day. I feel the pain, but it all gone dissipate. You can play it safe with your style, bad men and may, but I prefer the taste of my homemade lemonade. When you need a reset, it means that you grow. Cause living is a thing that your wings can't control. You deal with the blows, the hills and the lows. So when you get a lemon, plant a seed and let it go. When you need a reset, it means that you grow. Cause living is a thing that your wings can't control. You deal with the blows, the hills and the lows. So when you get a lemon, plant a seed and let it go. Thank you.